they enter into the most solemn 25 hours in the entire year. On the Jewish calendar, it's Yom Kippur today. It's the Day of Atonement. This is a day where they fast for 25 hours. Why 25? Just to make sure you did the 24. <laughs> and for 25 hours, they don't eat, they don't drink, and they, in a very interesting way, they, they have a, a, a greeting to one another, two greetings. One is, may you have an easy fast, easy fast. The purpose of fasting is not that it will be easy. But the second thing is, <clears throat> have a good signature of your name in the book of life. In other words, as a result of the 25 hours of fasting and asking God to forgive you for the past year's sins, and the gates of heaven are open for that, <clears throat> eventually they will close, and you need to pray that your name will be written in the book of life. And this is exactly what led me to teach on this topic today. This is a topic that the Lord put on my heart, especially in the time of COVID where a lot of people have their faith tested. A lot of churches, a lot of pastors, a lot of churchgoers, a lot of Christians uh, across the world were being conditioned, as you all see, all across the world for the first time since the Tower of Babel, for the first time since the Tower of Babel, the entire planet is under the same regulations, rules, and dancing to the same music. First time ever. First time ever. This is a time unlike any other time in the history of humanity. Even in world wars, when they were killing in Japan and Korea, they were dancing in Argentina. Even in World War I and World War II, and you just name it, almost every major event that is kind of a traumatic one in the history of our planet, it's one area of the world that suffered while the other area had its own life going on. For the first time, all countries are dancing to the music of one international organization. <clears throat> and the Christianity has been tested. Why? Because is church the only place to practice Christianity? Four doors and uh, four walls, two doors, a roof. <clears throat> People were tested. It's very interesting. I believe that uh, world events are not waiting for you to decide whether you follow Jesus or not. Globalism is on its highest gear right now. The Middle East has never been more ready than it is right now for the major events of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, like never before. I always say that our world has two tracks, world events and our own walk with the Lord. Our walk with the Lord will never, ever affect world events. You can now stand up and protest and try to stop the rise of the Antichrist in the future. Guess what? He will rise. 
You can now go and with your own body try to stop the invasion of the coalition that will come against Israel as in Ezekiel 38. Guess what? They will invade. You can now protest all the globalism that is going on around the world. Guess what? You may have four more years. But after that, it will continue. I mean, the effort to destroy your country, destroy all countries, and to rebuild something that will fit the ruler of the world in the future is on the move. It's on the go. You, you, you cannot change it. It has been foretold, but you can change your location when these world events are taking place by the decisions that you make in your life. And this is why we will talk about Middle East update and all what that is going on around the world at the end of second service, but I want you to know one thing. It is nothing compares to the most important thing and it is to make sure you are saved. Let's pray and then enter into the word. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Father, that you do not wish that any will perish, but that all will come to the saving knowledge of your son, Jesus. You are not late, as some count to be slackness, but you are long-suffering. Father, I thank you that we still, even this morning, can preach your word, your message of hope and love and faith, but only through Christ. And Father, we ask that this morning, the hearts of the people here and those that are watching from all around the world will be touched and changed according to your will and your purpose. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of the message this morning is the parable of the ten virgins as you as you know but and, and just to remind you um, this is part of a what we call the Olivet Discourse but the reason why I I, I felt so uh, urged to share this message this morning is uh, uh, in the last few weeks I have been exposed to a new breed of Christianity that I, I, I didn't even know that exists. I'm not even sure if I can call it Christianity, but I certainly can tell you these people profess to believe in Jesus Christ. I've seen videos that were sent to me of people spewing Nazi propaganda against the Jewish people, and they said that in the name of Jesus. I've seen people horribly hating, not just the Jews, by the way, by the way, hating anyone, any group of people, any ethnic group, is something that completely contradicts the Word of God. And I've seen those things being done in the name of Jesus using verses that were taken out of context and they were said by people with hundreds of thousands of followers online and people are drinking that Kool-Aid and they're horribly influenced by it. In fact, one of the speakers of the uh, Republican convention the national convention that uh, was there a few weeks ago had to be removed because she was retweeting one of those anti-Semitic uh, messages. No discernment, no scriptures, nothing. And I thought to myself, the church is saturated with people 
don't know God. They have no clue. The heart of God, the will of God, the plan of God, and the word of God. So the Olivet Discourse, as you all know, Matthew 24 and 25, this is the portion of scriptures where Jesus uh, literally answered questions of his disciples on top of Mount of Olives. Questions that were, for the most part, questions asked by Jewish people who lived in the land of Israel and they were at the city of Jerusalem during the Jewish holidays. And these are the things and the themes and the topics that bothered them. It was the temple. It was the last days. It was the, re the return of the Messiah. It was his kingdom. It was everything. And Jesus, in those two chapters, explained to them the whole thing from two angles. Let me talk to you now as a Jew first and tell you what's going to happen to Israel. And then let me talk to you as believers and what's going to happen with the believers through the rest of the time. In Matthew 24, the first portion from verse 4 to 31, it's all about Israel's future. And we know that because the Bible tells us He's speaking of Jerusalem, he's speaking of Judea, he's speaking of the Sabbath, he's speaking of all those things that they absolutely have nothing to do with anyone in uh, Miami Beach or in uh, Miami-Dade County. When you see those things, flee to the mountains, hello, here? <laughs> when you see those things, pray that it, you won't flee on the Sabbath day, hello? You, you must understand that he's talking to Jews in Jerusalem about the future of Israel. And he's absolutely referring to the end times event of Israel. And make no mistake, Jesus, knowing that Israel will reject him. And knowing that the next 2,000 years they will live trying to establish their own righteousness. As Romans 9.10 are 9 and 10 are telling us he knows that they will go through what Jeremiah said in chapter 20 what Daniel says in chapter 12 the Jacob's trouble they will go through a trouble they will un, they, they, they will unfortunately choose a wrong person as Messiah he will bring them fake peace he will break that peace. And then he will enter the temple and demand to be worshipped as, as if he is God. And they will flee. And Jesus tells them, when that happens, don't even go home and pack your things. Just run. But then in verses 30 to 35, he stops speaking about all the apocalyptic <clears throat> events all around the world that will, of course, talk about Israel as well. And then he says, learn this parable from the fig tree. It's the same fig tree that he talked about earlier, two chapters earlier. The same fig tree, which is the religious spirit of Israel, which is actually the national symbol of Israel. Knowing that it will be coming to an end and it will take 2,000 years for them to come back and reestablish a country and return back to their land. And he says that victory is going to come back to life. And that generation that will live to see the victory coming back to life, that generation shall not pass away, he said. And of course, speaking of the rapture of the church. And then he moves to Matthew 25 and he says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise. And five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. 
And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and says, No, lest there should be not enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And it's interesting because uh, we can see that then he says, afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Wow. And so there were so many questions running in my mind when I I read this portion for the first time. Remember, I was like, wow, who is he talking about here? It's obviously not just one virgin. It's obviously ten. Obviously all of them had some fire, had some light in their lampstand. But some had oil and some did not. Foolish and wise. And then I thought to myself, okay, oh, some, some are ready and some, you know, they may have... Just, you know, needed a few, few more days and, and minutes. But then I was shocked when I read his reply, when I asked him to open. And they went in also. And he said, I do not know you. Hmm. I'm thinking to myself, how many people think they know him? But he, they know nothing. Interesting. It starts with a, obviously it's a parable. We know, we're being told. The kingdom of heaven is like. So we're not talking about real ten virgins. We're talking about a very symbolic way to describe an important event. The kingdom of heaven. Very interesting. Is like. It's not will be like. Is like. Was like then, 2,000 years ago, when he talked about it, and still is today. Psalm 103, verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Luke 17, 20 to 21. Look, he was cornered by the Pharisees, and look what he says. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, stands right before them. God is with us. Emmanuel. Isn't that interesting? What is your name? Marco. Can you imagine somebody comes to you and says, Marco, when will Marco show up? Hello, I'm Marco. And he answered and said to them, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, not, nor will they say, See here or see there. See, people want to see something. They want a sign. They want to... No, the kingdom of God is within you, he said. Look, Jesus, the first words he said in his public ministry is, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He didn't say to them, Repent, for the kingdom of God will come in 2,000 years. Yeah, sure, that repentance message will go well. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, in Matthew 6, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. 
Gentiles in those days were the non-believers in, in, in God and his, his word. They don't know him. All they want is just the cares. Of, and look what he says, by the way. He says, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But look what he says. What you really need to always look for and seek for and ask for. And make sure you have. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, we have to also remember that in the kingdom of God, he's sovereign over everything. But in Matthew 12, it says that Satan's kingdom, in verse 26 is that which God allows Satan to control. Make no mistake, God is allowing at the moment Satan to have certain capacity. And you can ask me now, why? It's a good question. Why? Why? Well, let me tell you something. Free will is what makes us different. God could have created robots. He could have created us only as, as programmed people that will just do whatever he says. Couldn't he? He could. But I am asking you now. So when these tell him we love you, is it really a love that he's looking for? If your children will be programmed chemically, scientifically, to tell you that I love you, I love you, I love you. Will you consider that as true love? Or in spite of everything, despite of everything, with everything that is going on, because evil is there, do you love me? Because that's love. This is the love you want your children to love you. This is the love you want your spouse to love you. This is the love you as God, not you as God, but God wants his children to love you. To love him in spirit and in truth. To, to be his. To choose him. What is to choose him? There's choices in this world. He said in, in the book of Deuteronomy, he says, Here I put before you, Death and life. Choose life. Evil and good. It's a choice that we have to make. Daniel 4 said that God permits evil men to rule at different times. And it was kingdoms of this or like this that Satan basically offered to Jesus in Matthew 4.8. It's all Satan can offer is what, what he has dominion over. Interesting. I looked at the whole aspect of the virgins, and I'm, at first I had some imagination of. I thought they were all dressing in white and all. I, I, I don't know why, but the Bible doesn't say that. It was all here. And then I thought to myself, who could those virgins be? And honestly, I must say, a lot of Bible scholars didn't get it. You know, when you study the Word of God, quote the Word of God. When you study the Word of God, don't tell me, but this guy said this and this guy. No, that's nice that he said it, but what is the Word of God saying? And sometimes you can quote a wonderful scholar. He could be right on so many other things, but he could be wrong on this one. Quite a few scholars, believe it or not, think that the ten virgins is a picture of Israel. And I'm saying to myself, hmm, when in the Bible will Israel be taken and some will be left? Nowhere. If anything, when they see him coming, they will accept him. When he comes to earth to reign and rule for a thousand years, that's when all Israel will be saved. 
Israel is not to be taken partially and some are, no. In fact, let me tell you, I have great respect to a teacher called John Wolver that is known as the father of modern day Bible prophecy teachings. And, but he, I believe, got it wrong when he said the passage itself uses none of the characteristics, terms relating to the church, such as bride, body, or expression in Christ. Instead, we see that the ten virgins are merely bridesmaids who would uh, be attending the wedding. Well, I'm, I'm just telling you guys things that you must keep in mind. Watch this. In the Old Testament, God is seen as the husband of Israel. You can read that in Isaiah 54, in Isaiah 62, in Hosea 2. And in the New Testament, Christ is seen as what? The bridegroom of the church. And the church also is described in the scriptures as the bride of Christ. So Isaiah 54 says, Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. That's about Israel. For you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your uh, widowhood anymore, for your maker is your what? Husband. And by the way, I can prove to you from the Scriptures that the Lord was like a husband to Israel, Israel went after others, and there was what the Bible describes as divorce, and then coming back together. And it's all backed by scriptures, but it was a husband and a wife type of description of relationship between God and Israel. Whereas we see something else. But even in Isaiah, by the way, Isaiah 62, you shall no longer be termed forsaken. That's the reuniting Israel with God. Nor shall you, uh, your land be any more termed desolate, but you shall be called Hefziba, and your land Beula, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be what? Married, for as young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. He said, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness. That's Hosea 2. And justice in lovingness and mercy. And look what John sa Jesus says in John 3. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear the witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have seen, I've been sent before him. He who is the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase but I must decrease. Matthew 9, 15, And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Mark 2, And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom... Same, same thing. And long as they have, been, have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And then, of course, take a look at this. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife, his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall love his, leave his father and mother, and be rejoined with his wife, or joined with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The marriage will only happen when they will be joined together in flesh. 
when they will come, we will go. And be, the Bible says that once we go up and meet him in the clouds, we will never be separated from him again. Never. Wherever he goes, he comes back to earth, we come back with him. He reigns, we reign with him. He judges, we judge with him. This is it. We're with him the whole time. Remember, we do not know when Jesus is coming for his bride. But it's our job to be ready. And whatever we're doing, we need to be seeking to live unashamed in order for any of this to matter. One must know Jesus now. Look, you know, I struggled. I struggled a lot with the fact that the rapture is the only event in the foreseeable prophetic plan of God for the salvation of the whole world. The only event that has no timing. Look, Israel received the timetable by Daniel. Daniel told them exactly what's going to happen in those 70 weeks. They know exactly. You, they could have counted the days and know exactly the entrance of Jesus to Jerusalem on April 6, 32 AD. If they only listen and counted those 69 weeks times 7 times 360 you get 173,880 days, and when you start counting from the day the king allowed Nehemiah to build the temple, the, the, the temple and the city, all the way you would know exactly the day Jesus entered for the Jews in Jerusalem. So Israel knows its future. We also know that the Antichrist and the entire Jacob's trial will be seven years. We know it's two chapters of 1260 days each. Israel knows. But we, we don't know the minute, the day, the hour. We don't. And there is a reason for that. Look, Israel knew. Were they ready when he came? Mm -mm. When you don't know, you need to be ready at all times. It's very interesting because... Uh, John 3.16 says, For God, of course, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. That's all you need to know. You have eternal life. You know, the, the length of eternity is no longer there. It's eternity. John 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Say with me, no one to the Father except through me. Can we say no one once again? No one comes to the Father except through me. No one, neither the Jew nor the Gentile. No one comes to the Father except through him. Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth that the, Lord that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know, you can say. The question is, do you believe in your heart? These two things cannot be separated. You see, you can come to church and sing. You can give money. You can um, be a member. If your heart does not believe. And how do you know that you believe? You know when all you long for is that Jesus will come back. You know when all you want is to do good and not evil. You know when you hate evil and you love good. You know when... You see the work of the Holy Spirit in you in discernment, what is of Him and what is not. You see how the Word of God works in you and through you. But if you don't even read the Word of God, if you don't even spend time with the Lord, how in the world do you expect Him to say, I know you, when the time comes? 
Moreover, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you're, you believed in vain. You believed in vain. Look, the only way to believe not in vain is if you are holding fast what? The word. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The Word of God. How often do you even open it? How often do you even read it? How often do you even believe this is a challenging thing this morning that I'm throwing at you right now. But I'm telling you, folks, the days are evil. If you think you've seen evil, you've seen nothing. Why? We'll see why in a few minutes. Ephesians 2 says, And you he made alive. You who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. There is a, it's a spiritual battle out there. Do you really think that people who walked with signs that says, I am proud that I'm going to hell. Do you think it's not spiritual? I seen yesterday someone dressed in a satanic outfit and he's holding a sign when he says no knee shall bow it's a spiritual thing among whom also we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as the others we were just like them before we knew Christ now when you leave church and sunday night comes and monday morning comes where are you are you on the side of what you were or what you still are or are you a new person with the renewal of the mind with a new heart and a new spirit someone who has the most amazing thing on planet earth David King David when his sin was exposed and his sin was a sin not that you can I don't grade sins but when was the last time you guys slept with a married woman and sent her, her husband to die in a battlefield you see that was something that David did King David. And David, when his sin was exposed, when he came clean and when he wrote Psalm 51, he says, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. This is the only way I can live. I cannot live without you. Wherever I go, I, you are here. You're with me. I cannot run away from you. David had such an amazing relationship with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with the Lord himself, everyone. You, you, you need to understand that David had the Holy Spirit as a, as a you, know, you know, Google Maps? You know Waze? How many of you know Waze? W-A-Z-E, Waze. It's an Israeli app, just so you know, hello. And uh, <laughs> bought by Google, by the way, uh, for over a billion dollars. But I want you to know that literally the Spirit of God was David's ways. Show me your ways, he said. <laughs> Never mind. It was a joke. But everywhere he went to, he asked God, God, should I turn right, turn left, go up, go down? Look at the whole conduct of David from chapter 13 of 1 Samuel all the way. You can see the amazing, amazing spiritual life that he was having. And you think... You think that uh, um, he wasn't tested and the temptations were not there? Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Which one 
do you have and which one you don't. You know how many Christians don't have any? Honestly, I've, I've known leaders that I'm looking at. They're always unloving. They're not joyful. They don't have the peace. They, they, they don't have any patience. They always have to react and do something. And they, they don't have kindness. They do evil things. And they, they're not faithful to the people around them nor to anyone. I've seen it over and over again and again. It is evident that you do not walk in the Spirit. You may not even have the Holy Spirit. You may even think you have it, but you don't when you don't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now look at this. There is extra oil and there is lacking oil here. Extra oil represents the born-again believers who are living holy lives in anticipation of the Lord's return, no matter how long it takes. So some of you might say, well, they were not ready, they were asleep. Hello, do you go to sleep? The fact that we are waiting for His soon return doesn't mean that we cannot go to sleep. But when He comes, we're ready. You don't have the Holy Spirit only during the daytime. And then you sleep and then he catches you without the Holy Spirit at night. Lacking oil, individuals who were part of the church or were never part of, part of the church physically, but have no affiliation with Christ. See, I'm not talking about non-believers here. Or, excuse me, those who consider themselves non-Christians. I don't talk about them. All of them were virgins. All of them had lamps. All of them had the light in it. All of them were sure he is their Lord. All of them called him Lord. Spurgeon said, sincere Christians are the wise virgins and hypocrites the foolish ones. As in another parable, they are represented by wise and foolish builders. From the outside, all ten virgins look the same. All are waiting. All have lambs. All even became drowsy and fell asleep. The difference would only be seen when the lamp is needed for use. Spurgeon points out the similarities between the foolish virgins and hypocritical Christians. And of course, he says they may have taught that if they had lamps that the they were similar to those carried by others. It would be sufficient. Perhaps they judged that the secret store of oil being unseen was unnecessary. They were willing to carry a lamp in one hand, but to devote the other hand to the care of an oil flask was more than they were willing to do. It is the want of the oil of grace that is the fatal flaw in many professor's lamp. Many have name to live, but have no, not the life of God within their souls. They make a profession of attachment to Christ, but they have not the inward supply of the Spirit of grace to keep it up. There is glitter or flash, but there is no permanent light, and there cannot be any for although they have lamps, they have no oil with them. Now make no mistake, another reason that I believe the Jewish people are not, this is not a parable of the Jewish people. The rapture will take Jewish believers such as myself with the Gentile church. Do you think that if the rapture comes, I'm going to stay behind? I don't plan to. Don't wish me that. <laughs> the tribulation and the Antichrist will cause a third of Israel not to accept the mark of the beast. And God will shelter them in the wilderness, as Revelation 12 says, for three and a half years. The latter part of the tribulation, 1260 days. The rest, however, will accept the mark of the beast. And they will not call him Lord, Lord. This is not a parable about Israel. 
In 2 Corinthians 11:2, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That's the church. Now, wisdom versus foolishness, it's not like some had a higher IQ and some lower IQ. It's not about that. Wisdom is the person of the Holy Spirit. Make no mistake. Wisdom is the only thing. Apart from God that appears in the story of the creation. Or can tell or can testify that it was there. Because it is the person of the Holy Spirit. Look what Proverbs 8 says. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hills besides the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates and the entry of the city at the entrance of the doors. To you, O man, I call and my voice is to the sons of men. And then the Lord possesses me at the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, I have been established from everlasting from the beginning, before there was even an earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world, when he prepared prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits and that uh, so that the waters would not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, as, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. Phenomenal. And that's wisdom person of the Holy Spirit. To be wise is not to uh, have 15 degrees from Florida State University. <laughs> it's to have the Holy Spirit. Now you should be educated. I'm not saying don't. But you know what the real wisdom is. Proverbs 4, 4, 5, and 7 says, Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom, and with all your acquiring, get understanding. You know, I, I put the Hebrew there. I don't know if you can see it. You know why? Because the word to acquire in the Hebrew language is purchase. How in the world we could have had the Holy Spirit? Who sent the Holy Spirit to us? Jesus. After he, what? Paid the full price for our redemption. It was purchased. <laughs> so, you have to understand, the concept of wisdom is found throughout the Bible. Wisdom is more desirable and important than any earthly thing, as in 1 Kings 3, 10 to 14. God promises wisdom to those who ask for it, as in James 1, 5. Pride can corrupt our wisdom. By the way, who, who had his wisdom corrupted by pride? Satan himself. Satan himself. You're so right. According to James, there are two types of wisdom, human and spiritual. Let me show you. James 3, 13 to 17. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. The wisdom, the, this wisdom, does not descend from above. But it is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil things are there. 
But the wisdom that is from above, remember the Holy Spirit came. They were in that upper room. It came from above. When the wisdom comes from above is, is pure and then peaceable and gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Oil in your lamp. You must have so you can shine your light. Matthew said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. And if you truly have the Holy Spirit in you, then you're not seeking to be self-promoted. You're not actually seeking for your own glory. You're not writing a book so people will worship you and love you. You're not preaching. You're not posting things that people will love you more. Look, when they see your good works, they will what? Glorify who? Your Father which is in heaven. That's when you're a spiritual person. That's when the spiritual wisdom is in you. By the way, can you really buy this oil in that parable? Go and buy it. Job 28 says, Wisdom is with aged men and with length of days. Understanding with him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. If he breaks a thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. Look, basically what Job is saying that it's not something that you can go and purchase by yourself. It's something that God purchased for you. And so you're going to go to the store. It's not there. And if you have that mindset that you can just go on, already I know that you're not ready. They said, Lord, Lord. And he said to them, I do not know you. How tragic that people go to church all their lives and he doesn't know. That's what he said. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And look, he didn't say, very few people will say to me in that day. What is he saying? Many. Many. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have, you not, have we not prophesied in your name? This is... Do you see a, 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 an Orthodox Jew prophesizes in Jesus' name? No. But I see tons of televangelists do that. Prophesy in your name. Cast out demons in your name. Done many wonders in your name. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What is to practice lawlessness? Is to practice exactly the opposite of the laws of God. That's lawlessness. They may look holy from the outside. You know, I have no clue who is sitting here right now and how you, you walk with the Lord. The mere fact that you made it to church is nice. But I have no clue. And this morning, you know, only you know, and God, if you truly are. Now, I'm not here to confuse you. <laughs> no. I believe that we're coming to the very end. This is not the last days. This is the last hour. We're in the last minutes of the last hour of the last days. The bridegroom is about to come. And there is a wedding for us to attend. And I just want you to, am I late? What's the time? Yeah? Okay, so I'm done. The bridegroom comes to take and to leave. Just remember. Matthew 24. But of the day and the hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until that day 
that Noah entered the ark and did not know. They did not know. You should be ready. The world will not know. You should be ready. I want to tell you something. Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. But know this. There is one thing you need to know. That if the master of the house had known that what hour the thief will come. Now Jesus is proclaimed as like a thief in the night. Who is the master of the house that is going to keep you from not leaving? Who? Who? Who is the master of the house? Matthew 4. The devil took him up and showed him all these things. Remember? Luke 4. Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him the kingdoms of the world. John 8. You are of your father the devil. Look what he says. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. He is a liar and the father of it. John 12, now it's judgment and of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who is the master of the house? You see? And he should not know the day. So when we are out, he is surprised. You're ready? He's surprised. John 14, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. John said, you know, you can read all about I just want to go all the way to the very end by saying this. If you are a born-again, spirit-filled believer, watching and eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus, you will not miss the coming of the bridegroom. And I want you to remember that. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. The redemption of our body from Romans 8, 20 to 23. And I will only conclude with this. I will conclude with Titus chapter 2. And if that's you, you're doing great. If it's not you, you need to be saved. Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Father, I thank you that you have redeemed us. I thank you, Father, that you have given us the free gift of salvation and the wonderful Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. That wisdom that we need. Father, I ask right now that if there's anyone here that thinks that he's a believer just because there is little light in his lamp, but he has no oil to sustain it because he, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He never really, truly experience what it is to be born from the Spirit from above. Father, I pray that today will be a day of salvation. Everything around the world tells us this is it. We're close to the finish line. Now all that is left is for us to be ready. Are we ready? Father, I thank you that your word is a warning sign for us and that you may have delayed your arrival so those that heard this message this morning and they were not yet born again, spirit-filled, will be on their knees today asking forgiveness for their sins and that the Holy Spirit from now on will be the captain of their ship. I thank you for what you're about to do in your people and through your people. We bless your name, and we ask this in the matchless and the most beautiful name of the Holy One of Israel, this Prince of Peace, Lord of Lord, Lion of the tribe of Judah, Lamb of God, Emmanuel, in the one that died for Israel and the world, 
And he's the only hope of Israel and the world. And that is the only way to have your name written in the book of life. In his name, in the name of Yeshua, Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.